him. The more you experience his grace in every situation and all the things that we have walked through in our lives, uh, you can say, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him more and more and more. I trust that that's your experience, your faith experience walking with him. I just want to make uh, uh, just a a couple of brief uh, appeals to you. Uh, One is uh, we need more corporate sponsorship for our Hampers of Hope program. And so there are letters that you can give to your workplace that may want to participate with us um, uh, or businesses that uh, you know that you may want to present that opportunity to. Um, You can see Russell out in the in the lobby at the welcome desk, and uh, he would be happy to uh, give you something. Also, I'm wanting to send out, uh, I have begun sending out a, uh, just a little brief email each, uh, each week between now and Christmas. If we don't have your email address, I can't send it to you. And if you see something coming from me, um, don't push trash, okay? It's, it's only about two minutes. But uh, I would appreciate uh, being able to share with you as we come to Christmas. And, uh, and if you have something you'd like to share with me, you can do that by way of email too. That would be great. Uh, so thank you for that. Uh, we've been trying to answer this question. Why is it that sometimes being a Christian can be so difficult? Why is it that, I'm, I mean, when, when you came to Christ and you knew for the first time that you had been cleansed of every sin before God. And you just reveled in the joy of that knowledge and being his child. And it's so, it was so fantastic. And you were on a high. And, and then in the daily grind, we find sometimes that, that being a Christian is not as easy as what we'd hoped maybe it would be. Um, there are temptations. There are things that we didn't previously experience. Sometimes we we have issues because um, when we weren't a follower of Christ, we didn't have a sensitivity to some of the sin that's that, that confronts us. I mean, we saw things, we heard things, we said things, we did things, and at a point in time, it, it didn't bother us that much. And now we find, man, there's, a, there's a, this heightened sensitivity about things that are not good and not right in our life. And uh, we didn't maybe anticipate that some of that could be challenging that way, that we would uh, find our faith being contested or some pushback against it. Um, and to be opposed. Well, we've been learning in the last couple of weeks that there are actually, um, we're in a spiritual battle. We're in a battle in in a warfare uh, against forces of evil that are intent on not encouraging us to walk with God and do what God wants us to do. And we said there were three different theaters in which the battle was waged. The first one that we've looked at over the last two weeks have been Satan and demons. And so we tried to build this whole understanding from God beginning with, uh, with the creation and the creation of angels and how the angels fell under the leadership of Satan and how they oppose everything God does uh, and, and try and make life difficult for us and, uh, and keep people from becoming followers of Jesus Christ. They're working against everything Christ is seeking to do. And he calls us, as as we've uh, been talking about, 
in our, um, in our mission, new mission statement um, to passionately follow Christ, to passionately follow Jesus. And uh, we find that there's some, there's some pushback with us. There's opposition. Now, one of the things that Satan has chosen to do is work through creating a godless environment in which we live, uh, systems that support his agenda. The Bible calls this the world. The impact of the wor- that the world makes is difficult for believers to live faithfully. So there's this thing called the world, and in the world... The impact that the world has on Christians is to make it difficult for us to live our faith out faithfully before God. So these two forces join, uh, join together. We've got Satan and the demonic realm. And what he seeks to do is to uh, have it uh, so that there is a, a challenging environment for us in which we have to live. So what is... The world. The Bible talks a lot about the world. And that word, uh, you may know, the, the Greek word for that, you'll know, at least a derivative, and that's the cosmos. Cosmopolitan, uh, cos, uh, cosmology, all of those are derivatives of that word. And, and what it means in different places in the Bible, in some places it means our planet, Earth, the world, where we live. Uh, sometimes it talks about uh, the people who live in the world. Sometimes it's referring to the universe. But it takes on a very special meaning, too, in Scripture as it's used. And this meaning that it takes on is that it, is, it represents the whole godless environment that Satan has spawned in which we live. This anti-God world in which we live that Satan directs and, and uh, has that so that it would work against God's people. Now, in Ephesians chapter 2, in verses 1 and 2, we read this. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. He's talking about people before they become a Christian. You were dead in transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed. Look at this. You followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The spirit who is now at work at those, uh, in those who are disobedient. So he says there's this, there's this area in which Satan works, the kingdom of the air, the, 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 the prince of this world, the god of this age, all these different uh, ti- titles is the sphere in which Satan works. And, uh, and what he does is he works in the world. He works in the world system uh, so that it would uh, militate against him. Uh, in Galatians 1.4, he says this, that uh, he calls it this present evil age. The word age and world often are, are uh, synonyms in, in the New Testament. Uh, and so the, these, uh, this present evil age is, is one in which the attitudes and the habits and the preferences are alien to God and his standards. So in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10 to 12, and we've looked through these uh, verses before, the Apostle Paul says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. This is not a human thing. This is not on, on, on a physical human plane. 
But it's against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers. These are all demonic forces of this dark world. And against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So this this world and its values have been so corrupted by Satan that they work in concert with his program uh, to help people, uh, to, to prevent people from following God as he would have them do that. Now it's interesting that um, this involves unseen things. We said in the Bible there are seen things and unseen things. Everything that is seen has something unseen behind it. Everything that happens has something unseen behind it. Something that we can't tangibly put our hands on, but something that is very real anyway. I had a, I had a professor, and uh, he, had, he had a saying that has stuck with me all these years. He said, he said this, All truth is practice laden, and all practice is truth or theory laden. What he's saying is, for every theory, for every truth, for every philosophy, for every theology, there are, uh, incumbent in that, there are expressions that work its way out in the practice of our life. He said, conversely, um, every practice has behind it some theory, some philosophy, some theology. So when you do something, you don't do it for no reason. Behind that, there is a reason. And sometimes we don't, we're not even aware of those things. But if we can peel back the layers, we'll find that behind things we do, there is a, a theory, there's a philosophy, there's some kind of claim or truth. Well, we, we find out that the world becomes an enemy to the believers. In 1 John 4, 5, Um, John says this, they're from the world, he's talking about these forces, they're from the world and therefore they speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. So there's a whole worldview, there's a viewpoint of the world that the world has. It's contrary to God, it's contrary to what he wants and it involves things like truth claims and values and philosophies. In Colossians 2 and verse 8 it says this, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Unseen things behind things that are seen. When we see behavior and action, behind that is something. And Paul, the Apostle Paul would say to the believers, now you need to understand that there's a battle And the battle is going to be a battle for your mind. And it's this whole world system that seeks to uh, create this environment that's against God. And it's hollow and deceptive because Satan is a liar and he's the father of lies. He's a deceiver. And it it, uh, has to do with the basic principles of this world. Now, we mostly... Focus on the practical, the practice things, the behaviors, the actions. But he says, no, you need to look underneath behavior. You need to look underneath all of those things. And underneath them, you'll find behind that theory, theology, teaching, truth claims, values. Now, we live in an environment that has been shaped, as we said, by Satan and his forces. And anything God wants, Satan's going to oppose. 
Anything that God stands for, anything that God upholds, Satan will oppose all of those things. And so there's this constant influence of the world's values. I want to say this. It's the air we breathe. We breathe it in, day in and day out, hour by hour, living in this world. Uh, we're subject and exposed to theologies and, and, and uh, practices and values that are not God's, uh, God's values. It's part of the whole world system. And just as that environment, um, we understand how important environment is for raising children because you can negatively, negatively impact kids by putting them in a, in a terrible environment in, in those early years, uh, up till they're five, six, and, and beyond. And uh, psychologists have looked at the, the terrible things that have, have come out of putting children in a, in a bad environment. So we're in an environment an environment that has been spawned by Satan that is constantly working us in overt ways and in very subliminal ways, in sneaky ways to get into our lives, to get into our minds and our thinking and get us to think a certain way. And that, makes, and, and that can make it difficult for a believer trying to live a faithful life. Um, when my two older kids finished high school, uh, I took them on a, like just a, a one-day canoe trip on the Grand River. And uh, it was about a 25-mile go. And uh, we, we put in at a certain place, and we were going to another destination, and uh, we were able to go with the current. And when you're with the current, uh, sometimes it's, uh, the water's deep and there's not much movement, and sometimes it's more shallow. And... and uh, you really can pick up some speed, you know, because it's helping you. It's propelling you along. But we tried a couple of times with some, some uh, faster moving water to paddle against the current. And that was tough. We were going, 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 and we weren't making it very far. And I want to tell you, it's like that, kind of like that as a Christian. We're in an environment where the whole world is going in this direction, and the water is flowing uh, speedily. And God says, that's not the direction for you. You need to be going the other direction. And so we go up against the current, and it's tough. Some of you have, have been swimming, and there's an undertow or something. You, you're trying to get in, and, and you can, you can uh, stroke as, as much as you want and find out that there's something at the same time that's pulling you away. So this is a reality. You say, why is it that I struggle with some of this stuff? Because you're in an environment that has inundated you with wrong thinking and wrong, uh, 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 wrong behaviors and patterns. And, and uh, this thing of walking with Christ isn't, doesn't go uncontested. So we work and work and work at it. And uh, now... If you're not a follower of Christ, you don't have that issue because you don't have that sense of the Holy Spirit in you guiding you and directing you to follow God. Um, and, and you may be alive, uh, oblivious to the status and the effects of our, on our environment on you. But it's what is uh, lived and taught and guides decisions in this world. And, and we live with a constant barrage of this. Now... When a person becomes a believer, he or she, she has a new status and an exclusive allegiance to Christ. When a person becomes a believer, that person, he or she, has a new status 
and an exclusive allegiance to Christ. Uh, See, there's a change that happens that sets us apart from those who are not God's people when we become a believer. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Colossians 1, 13 and 14. He said, for he, that is Christ, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. There's a, we talk about the dominion of Canada. Satan has a dominion. And he takes us out of that dominion of darkness and brings us into, the, into the, uh, the kingdom of the son he loves. We have a change in, in terms of our, if you will, our spiritual ethnicity. We have a change in our, uh, our uh, uh, being God's people, uh, being identified with him. And, and uh, so... We no longer dwell under the authority of Satan. We now dwell under, in the kingdom and under the authority of Jesus Christ. There is this new allegiance and we become a part of something that's new. So that the Apostle Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 5.17, he would say, if anyone is in Christ, the, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. His, his new creation, you are a part of his new creation. You've been taken out of that old dominion of Satan, uh, the god of this age, the prince of the power of the air, and you've been transported and you've been brought into God, the kingdom of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God. And, um, and you can't have both. You, you can't play both sides of the fence here. In James 4.4, 4, uh, James says this, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. You put yourself in an adversarial place. You used to be over here. You used to be, uh, you used to be there uh, Submitting yourself to, to the world system and what Satan wants and, and against God. But you got transported over here. And, and God says that, uh, Paul, he says through James that you, you, you make yourself an enemy of God if you are in the world. He, he wants us to understand that there's an exclusivity to this. And uh, rather than being enemies of God's, understanding we can't serve both sides. But there's pressure to serve both sides. In 1 John 2, verses 15 and 17, it's to 17, it says, Don't love the world or anything in the world. This whole system, the values, all of the things that prompt you. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. See this antipathy between this this opposition that that we have uh, when we become a part of God's kingdom and leave the dominion of darkness. Well, because we're so opposite um, and competitive in that way, we'll find out that believers will experience opposition from the world just like Jesus did. We'll, we'll experience opposition from the world like Jesus did. Jesus says this in John chapter, uh, John chapter 15. 
uh, verses 18 and 19. If the world hates you, he says to his followers, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you, what? Out of the world. That's why the world hates you. Uh, I know this is not good news. You put yourself in opposition to Jesus. When you left uh, when you left that realm of opposition to Jesus, you put yourself in a position where you say, I'm going to follow him. And here's what happens. When you follow him, uh, you can expect opposition. You can expect, he says, you become, uh, if, you, if you're the other way, you become the enemy of God. If you're with God, you're an enemy of Satan. And, and you don't belong any longer to the world. You can't love the world or the things of the world. Uh, because if you love that, the love of the Father is not in you. You, you can't play both sides of the fence on this. Uh, 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 John would say in 1 John 3.13, don't be surprised if the world hates you. You say, well, I'm getting pushback. Uh, people sometimes don't like me. They, they, they leave me out. They exclude me. Jesus said, if they did that to me, they're going to do it to you as well. Now, that's being said, as followers of Christ, we're called uh, to be loving, gracious, caring people. I mean, we're told to love our enemies. We're told to pray for those who persecute us and bless those who persecute us. Um, but we're, we put ourselves, in some cases, unwittingly in this. I, I won't say unwittingly. I would say when you follow Christ, you're going to have some pushback against you. And this is so all-pervasive that we're continually bombarded with this messaging and this pressure, pressure to live according to the world's standards. You know, um, I was kind of looking up. I, uh, they said... Uh, the average person is exposed to 4,000 uh, 4, um, advertisements per day. And then they started talking how they come on your phone and they're on billboards and labels and media and, and all of this stuff. We're bombarded with something that is part of the world system, that, that the, un, the underpinning of which is anti-God. And that's, that's what happens and we're pressured to live according to the world standards. Now, let me give you a couple of examples about how that's happening. What's... Each year, for quite a number of years, the government has been very generous with us in uh, providing some funding when we make a proposal uh, for hiring some students in the summer to work in our day camp program to give them some experience and to help them earn some money to go to school. And we're very grateful for that. And this last year... Um, the, uh, the government under Prime Minister Trudeau um, had a moral agenda. So he's holding, he's holding the carrot out, uh, but he said, now we'll give you money. But here's the deal. Here's what's going to happen. Uh, we have an agenda, and we're changing the rules on how you qualify to get that money. Uh, you can apply for, uh, for this, and we, we submit our plans for what we'll do and, and how long and how many people and all of the rest of that. But now there's going to be a little box when you uh, submit this, and you need to check that box. And it, indica- it indicates that you agree with our interpretation of the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. And uh, including... And uh, one of the sticking points was including uh, reproductive rights and the rights of a woman to be able to abort her child. 
Now, if you want our money, here's the deal. Tick the box and mean it. But, you know, and I, I imagine some people perhaps ticked the box even though they didn't mean it because they wanted the money. And so we, we have a dilemma. And we said, look it. Um, here it is. Um, the world, our government, is saying, we'll give you, we'll give you money, but you have to, you have to uh, go with our understanding with our values and our values high on that is that uh, we have that women have the right to abort their child and uh, we say like we we can't do that we can't comply with the world standards in that way so we chose to forfeit that we chose to forget that Um, Tuesday of this week I'm watching the news at dinner time, and I hear that Calvary Baptist Church in Oshawa uh, has a, a situation on their hands. Um, they have a, a woman who's in their church who works in their youth ministry, and uh, she had uh, recently come out as being a lesbian and had a lesbian partner. And the church sought to say, now you understand that this is not this is not the values. These are not the morals that we, uh, that we espouse. You're a member. You understand our, our statements and all of the rest of that. And um, we want to call you to change, uh, you to repent and change your behavior and what you're doing. This, doesn't, this does not comport with what God calls us to do. And um, um, with opportunities for her to change her mind. There was, uh, she was uh, steadfast in holding her uh, position. And so the church sent her a letter and had, they had forewarned her that they would be revoking her membership uh, because uh, this is not the code of conduct that God's people, trusting the Bible, uh, subscribe to. And it's interesting, as I watched the interview with her, she showed the whole letter from the church, and, and they pointed out different things. And uh, she said, well, you know, I guess there's some stuff in the Bible that may talk about that, but, you know, um, we, we're talking about freedom. And her partner said, uh, loud and proud. And now the church uh, has a struggle, because uh, now this person has gone very publicly to many news agencies, and now the church is getting hate uh, hate mail and uh, and uh, threats of harm. Now, this folks, this is the world system. I'm going to intimidate you. You can't hold your Christian values uh, because if you do that, we're going to make life difficult for you. For so the church, the church is uh, has three policemen there at their service today. They've had had to put up uh, some kind of security for threats against their building and what people will do. What is this? This is the world, show, you know, pumping its muscles and, and uh, uh, putting out its chest and saying, you cannot, you cannot do that. We talk about religious freedoms. Ah, no, not religious. You've got to follow what we want you to follow. And so um, I don't know what will happen with that. Uh, but uh, there's a situation, again, where the world system... Uh, declares war on Christian values. Trinity Western University in Langley, B.C. is a liberal arts university with a mission. Here's the mission. To develop godly Christian leaders. 
And so they do, they have education uh, on the basis of a biblical perspective. They want to be unique in Canada in that way, a liberal arts university that is thoroughly Christian in how it thinks and how it teaches. Um, in June of uh, this year, the Supreme Court ruled against accrediting the law school. And if you followed that, you'll know that for some time now, there has been pushback against the university because they were starting a, uh, a law program. And what happened was they have a standard of conduct and morality for their students. And a part of that is this, that um, sexual, uh, sexual activity should only happen um, in a monogamous, heterosexual marriage relationship. And so they would sign a kind of a, a code of conduct. Well, when this got out that, uh, that the university was doing this, it was thought, no, we can't, we can't allow that. We can't let them do that. And so there was pushback in several provinces that they wouldn't, they wouldn't uh, acknowledge any degree coming from that, from that school. They would fight against it uh, because these students had signed a mandatory uh, uh, covenant against uh, marriage outside, uh, uh, sex outside of marriage. And uh, this went all the way to the Supreme Court. And it said they can't impose that, even if they're, they're free to come. And, uh, you know, they can't impose that. So here they, they had to bail on that. And now they had to rethink and, uh, and figure out how are they going to respond to that. And they have responded in, uh, in one way. But here's the pressure from the world to make the, the children of God comply with their standards in a forcible way. Um, uh, last week I heard that there was going to be there was a, a video from Hockey Canada that was going should be seen by all the parents and whatnot, and it's uh, it was on the basis of of um, inclusiveness and respect in terms of of uh, sexual issues. Uh, people who would self-identify as something other than male or female and how we respect them and how we need to uh, make provision for those things. And so it was, it, was a, uh, it was a video, an instructional video for parents and I suppose uh, uh, for players as well. Um, but here's, the, here's the, the, some of the big buzzwords that we've dealt with. One, one has been toleration. We need to be tolerant. And uh, toleration used to mean that I don't, I don't necessarily agree with you, but I will tolerate, if you will, your right and freedom uh, to live, to believe, and practice within certain boundaries um, how you want to. You have that right, just as a Christian should have that right. Those rights, are we're losing those rights, little by little by little. And, uh, but that wasn't good enough because it's not good enough that we say we, we will tolerate you. We want that to mean we affirm you. We, you celebrate the differences that we have. And, and uh, you will hold that up and say it's a good thing. And we'll have curriculum, uh, curricula that, that will promote uh, different and diverse kinds of of uh, issues uh, uh, on sexuality and, and, and things like that. And, and it's now, 
we, we don't want you just to say, hey, live and let live. We want you to say, celebrate with us. Loud and proud, uh, we'll, we'll parade through the streets and, and uh, we'll make our point. And um, it's interesting because the other word that is a real buzzword is inclusivity. And it sounds so good, doesn't it? We'll include everyone. Unless Christians who, thinks they, who think they have the right way. We can't, we can't include that. But, but it's inclusiveness. And, and we need people who will uh, include everybody. Now here's the thing. You can't be truly inclusive. In society, you need also to be exclusive. Let's say you want to join the German Shepherd Club. But you don't have a German Shepherd. How do you join the club? Let's say you decide at 14 that you want to be an NHL hockey player. And they should be inclusive because if you're a really, really good 14-year-old, maybe somebody should let you in. You know? No, there's, there's an exclusivity. This is, uh, this is for people of this level. You, you know, so there, there, you, there's no true um, inclusivity that um, speaks to every different thing. The trouble is that we've moved so far in society from where we were to affirm the validity of things that are wrong scripturally and practices that are wrong. James would say in James 1.27, he would say, keep yourself unstained or unpolluted from the world. It's hard to do that. It's hard to, it's hard to maintain those standards when your workplace forces some, something else on you where, where your, your uh, neighbors and other people don't buy into that. Um, I don't know, I, I, don't, I, I maybe have said this before, but I grew up in, in my teen years, we moved to a farm. And uh, it happened to be a pig farm and a farm that had horses. So there was this track for training horses and there were pigs and so in my mid-teen years, I became a pig farmer. Do you guess that? And uh, some of you poor people have never been in a barn. You've never been in a pig barn. And I'll tell you, I heard, I heard groaning. Um, it, has, it has a flavor all its own. Let me put it that way. Now, we, our family was the epitome of... Uh, Green Acres. Some of you who are younger don't know this show. My dad was a gentleman farmer. He'd go to work in a suit and you'd come home and slop the pigs. Um, and sometimes we would have, uh, we'd have a sow that was going to have uh, piglets. And uh, my dad would come home from work and he would put on uh, coveralls. And he would go out and check the pigs and see if they were born yet and if there was anything he had to do. What you need to know about a pig barn is when you go in there, the smell gets into everything it can. So it's your clothes, it's your hair, it's... And my dad would think, well, I just, I've got to go home and check this sow. And, 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 and then he, he, he would think this. What I'll do is I'm going to take some cologne. And he would put some cologne on. And I said, Dad, you look like, you smell like a pig in cologne. Uh, <laughs> You can't do that. You've got to have a shower or something. But you're in an environment, and sometimes in that environment, it, it's, it's so easy to take upon that some of what that environment produces. 
And, and it's so powerful, this force, and, and, uh, and such a challenge in that. So we're fighting an uphill battle. We're going against the stream, the world and, and the systems of, of government and education and, and uh, the arts and all of those things have a different understanding of, of what's right and what's good and what's holy. And so here is a lot of pressure on Christians who like, you know, we don't want to look prudish. We don't want to seem judgmental or exclusive, or unwelcoming, or bigoted, or narrow. And it's so intimidating because you get into these environments where that's, that's the pervasive uh, uh, feeling in that whole place. And here you are trying to be faithful to Christ, and, and yet not to look bad in front of others, to be kind and generous and all the rest of those things. And parents, I want to say that with your children... They are subjected to stuff day in and day out in every 24 hours, you know, not that they're up that long, but all day long, um, that those messages are coming through. They're shaping their minds, shaping their attitudes, and, and uh, it's, it's really tough. Uh, how are you going to do that? So this, against this incessant barrage, this anti-God, the pressure to comply... What is it? Um, how, how do we, how do we def- defend that? How do, we, how do we get over that? Well, I want to just, in, in closing, I want to give you a few things. First, uh, how do we overcome the influence of the world? Resist conformity to the world. Resist conformity. Remember in history they had nonconformists? People say, you know what, I'm not conforming. Everybody's going this way, but I'm going to be a nonconformist. What does the Bible say in, in Romans chapter 12, in verse 2, in the first part it says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, to the pattern, the, the philosophy, the theology, the way they do it. Don't, don't do that. Resist that with all that you have in you. The agenda is to make you like the world. No, you resist that. You recognize the message behind the action. You recognize the subtlety of it. And you don't conform. Um, J.B. Phillips in his, uh, in his translation of the New Testament said this of that verse. He said, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. See, it's trying to make you like it. And in doing that, it's trying to put you in the mold so that you come out just like it does. And we're called to be nonconformists. We're resistance fighters. Uh, we're saying no, no to the establishment. And we're going to fight that in how we live and how we think and how we deal with those things. Um, but that's not enough. You can't just say, I'm going to resist something. Uh, we need to do something positively. So he goes on to say, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do we counteract all of that? It's a mind thing that we need to, uh, to deal with. Um, everything we do, everything that we uh, act upon, uh, we do uh, because we've thought about it. We're gonna, we're, the starting place for everything is our mind. Uh, we shoot normally for the, uh, for the actions and, and uh, the performance of somebody, not what's behind all of that. And, and so we need to conform to the will of God uh, 
by being transformed by the renewing of our mind. Don't use the world as your model. Don't do that. Transfor- transformation happens um, when, we are, when our minds are renewed. And I say, how do, you, how do you renew your mind? You're not, your mind is remo- renewed when you take the word of God and put that into your, into your head and into your heart. That you see what the Bible says and how God talks about things and what God's take is. What we do week after week after week after week is try and help you develop a Christian worldview. To help you understand what it is that God has for you. What, the, what, what is the theory behind everything? And how do we live that out in our life? And it's interesting, this transformation happens through renewing our mind. And it is a constant activity. Um, the, the tense tells us that we're to do that continually. Continually renew our mind. See, we went from this category. We went from over here, the, 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 uh, the kingdom of darkness, into the kingdom of the son he loves. And in this place, um, we're to refuse those, but to live out and understand what he has for us. Uh, that reflects our new status, who we are now, who reflects uh, the, not the lying, deceptive things that are pre- presented to us by the enemy, but the things that come from God, that shape our thinking. Um, Jesus said in John seventeen seventeen, make them holy through the truth. Make them holy through the truth. Holy is what we're supposed to be. Holy is being like Jesus. Holy is being mature. Holy is being what God wants us to be. Make them, make them holy through the truth. And then he says this, your word is truth. We need to take the word of God and put it into our minds so that what happens is he transforms the way we think. And when you transform the way a person thinks, you transform the way they behave. And that renewed mind is to think Christianly. It's to think God's thoughts. It's to assess things the way God does. And uh, secondly, what we're called to do is, or thirdly, make every thought captive to Christ. Make every thought captive to Christ. He says in 2 Corinthians 10, 1-5, the Apostle Paul had uh, a lot of pushback in his ministry, and there were false apostles who were giving him a rough time, who were smearing his name in front of the church and all of that kind of thing. And he's writing in part to deal with some of these issues. And uh, he says this, By the humility and gentleness, gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, when bold, uh, when, uh, went away. I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. These people live by the standards of his world. And he says, no, no, no. Um, I, I, I'm going I'm to come and I'm going to deal with this issue up against these people who live by these worldly standards. And he says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. Did you get that? We're in the world, we're in the system, but we don't wage war the same the way the, the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. 
We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. You know, if you're fighting a war, you need to have the right weaponry for the right battlefield. You don't want to take a, uh, a rifle to fight in a battle against a submarine, right? It's just not the right thing. You don't want to use a grenade against a missile that someone has launched at you. You know what? That's not... And he says, when, when it comes to our faith, what we need to do is have, have the right weaponry to fight. May I suggest that the weaponry is the word of God and prayer. And, and we take every thought captive. We interrogate every thought. We scrutinize it. We discern, is this of God or is this of the, of the world? We take it captive. And um, we make it obedient to Christ. We say, you know, that's, that's not a right thought. We, we are, sometimes are so uncritical in what we imbibe. And, and look at you watch TV, and, and I, you know, I'm ashamed to say also that I think we are so desensitized that stuff comes at us all the time, and we don't identify it as wrong and unwholesome, and, and we lower our standards. And he says this, you need to take every thought captive. You need to interrogate it. And if it's a no good thought, you get rid of it. And, and if it's a thought that honors God, then you make it uh, you either make it obedient to Christ or, or you, you keep that in your mind. And the pressure is so intense uh, and the onslaught is ceaseless and the world is trying to enslave us and we fight back with truth. For the truth shall set you free. Jesus said in John eight seventeen and 18, he said, I'm not taking you out of this world, but I will protect you from the evil one. So we're, we're swimming upstream against the current. And uh, at the same time, he said, I'm not taking you out, but I'm praying for your protection, that it, you'd be protected from the evil one. And that starts with thinking and having the mind of Christ, of understanding God's view. And uh, finally, you need to understand that ultimately win the, we win the battle. The final victory. In Revelation eleven fifteen it says, and these are great words um, that come from the Hallelujah Chorus, Handel's uh, Messiah. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven which said, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah and he will reign Forever and ever. And I can hear the hallelujah chorus uh, as that is um, proclaimed so loudly. We can have victory. We have a formidable foe. And this environment that we breathe this stuff in, um, we can overcome it. And it begins with the mind. When we receive God's word and allow it to shape how we think. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that the victory is won in Christ. We thank you, though, we face formidable foes. We live in an environment that presses in on us constantly. At the same time, 
we have victory. You, you reshape our mind. You make us new in our thinking that comports with who we are in you when we were moved from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of the son you love. Father, I pray that you would strengthen us in this. And you would help us to identify wrong thinking and to get rid of it. We pray that you'd help us to help our children to understand how these things work on them. And that, Father, they would faithfully live for you also. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.